The Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. Predicting the weather is the bane of most farmers' lives. Might some new tech help? The big hot topic right now, artificial intelligence. And that is really a neural network that keeps adjusting itself and being able to predict better and better on specific weather parameters, the temperature, precipitation and so on. Drone tech has been around for some time. Now you can legally use it for spraying and spreading. It's another tool in the box. And if we can introduce the ability to increase in the yield, then great. You know, we're accessing areas that are inaccessible to current machinery. More coming up, plus we get to know the new chair of Lincolnshire Young Farmers, hear about their new members month and check the crops, the markets and the weather for the week ahead. And of course, Sean Sparling has some important important and timely agronomy advice for us. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope you enjoyed some tasty Lincolnshire sausages yesterday. If you're not local, it was the Lincolnshire Sausage Festival. And if you're taking part in the National Ploughing Championships at Chatsworth, well, the best of luck to you. I'm Steve Orchard. In the news this week, scientists have successfully gene-edited chickens to restrict bird flu infections. Researchers were able to restrict but not completely block the virus from infecting chickens by altering a small section of their DNA. And the birds didn't show any signs that the change in their DNA had any impact on their health or well-being. Red Tractor has unveiled a timetable to make its Greener Farms commitment available from next April. This new module provides a single route to demonstrate the steps being taken by a farmer towards carbon footprinting, soil management, nutrient management, waste management and biodiversity. The Greener Farms commitment module will open on the 1st of April 2024. Three men have been sentenced, one of which was a suspended prison sentence for hair-coursing offences in East Yorkshire. A fourth failed to attend court and a warrant for his arrest has been issued. In the incident, the four men were stopped by Humberside police as they came off private farmland in Leven. They were in possession of running dogs and they've been variously fined, disqualified from driving, ordered to do unpaid supervised work and the one who was given the suspended prison sentence also given a 10-year criminal behaviour order. And on Friday, the UK suspended the trade of live cattle and sheep from France after the outbreak of a virus that can be fatal to cows, epizootic hemorrhagic disease, EHD. The disease usually spreads through the bites of infected midges and was first spotted in Europe last year. Ministers say they're closely monitoring the situation, but the risk of the virus reaching Britain is negligible. And once again, the weather is changeable, variable, blooming unpredictable. One of the biggest banes of farmers' life. Many companies produce weather stations and make weather predictions one of which is the Danish company Cordulus. They have some new tech and their sales director is Henry Brandt, who's with us this morning. Henry, could we start, please, with a bit of background about Cordulus? We are based in Denmark. We're still a startup, even though we started out in 2015. And it's a group of data scientists where our CEO, John, he has a farming background and he started up the business in 2015. And we started developing the weather station together with farmers in Denmark because we we knew that there was something we could do with, with weather data into the agriculture industry. We got Danish Agro on board as a, one of our big shareholders. Danish Agro is the big cooperative. They have, uh, I think, 8,500 members and they have subsidiaries in all the countries around the Baltic. So that gave us the opportunity to both set up in Denmark, but also go international uh, around the Baltic Sea. We ended up now uh, over the, the last couple of years here, we, we managed to get 3,000 stations out there 
interesting thing is that in a small country like Denmark, we have 1,300 stations. So weather is extremely local. We, you couldn't have so many stations if weather was not a local phenomenon. And that's what farmers know. We try to, to live on this mantra which Danish Agro has on cultivating value. We, ha we have to bring the value to the farmer. Uh, what, how can he benefit from the products we try to sell? Of course, at the end of the day, yes, we're here to make a profit also, but it has to bring value to customers, uh, to the farmer. So that's where we come from. Yep. One of the biggest headaches that farmers have is weather and being able to get accurate data, being able to predict what's going to happen today, tomorrow, for the rest of the week. When can I spray? When can I get out in the fields? Yep. That's got to come from data in the first place, surely. And one of your strap lines is tired of inaccurate weather data. So what do you do? What does Cordulus do to make that data more accurate? Of course, we measure on various points on the weather station. So if I just quickly go through all the, 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 the data points we have from the weather station, we start with the soil temperature uh, because that's the time of the year where you go out drilling. We try to follow the annual cycle of a farmer. So the drilling part is the first. You need to know is the soil temperature right. Then we have others uh, for whole spring season where you have the, you need to know the wind speed, the uh, uh, humidity, air humidity, air temperature. And then we have the precipitation, which is, of course, one very important one for everyone to know. So we can follow the annual cycle and we have these data that comes in. What we then do with, with uh, these data, and that's where we really differentiate ourselves from, from uh, any others who, who are dealing with the uh, weather forecast. Now, these weather forecasts are normally done in a grid. Any weather forecast you go out and look at, they are based in a grid, and uh, it's 0.25 degrees of, of the, the Earth's circumference. Uh, and that means on, in, in UK, that would be about 10 miles by 10 miles. Within that area, it definitely varies a lot. Weather is even more local than that. So we take the data on the, from the weather station and do what we, we coined the phrase hardware-enhanced weather forecast. And that is actually we take the big weather models because, yes, they can predict weather, uh, but, but they, cannot, they are not good at a very specific point. And that's what the farmer needs to know. So we, we have an, uh, built an algorithm uh, around neural networks. We have a bunch of data scientists sitting here doing these kind of things. And then we build it up and we, we can prove that we are in the first 48 hours, we are more accurate in a specific spot for the farmer. So that's based on the network. Just keep on uh, the algorithm, uh, keep on training on the uh, stations out there and getting better and better. Uh, I know we are looking into almost up to 100 hours now, but still we are more confident and saying, hey, the, we have trained until 48 hours. We can definitely prove we are better. OK, so the farmer needs a weather station or some weather stations on their land. Yeah, correct. The next question you'll ask me, how many weather stations do you need? <laughs> That's the one I always get. And it's a very difficult answer to give because it really depends on topography. Also, how, how near are your fields to each other and so on. On average, our customers uh, have 1.4 weather stations and we are targeting 100 hectares and up. So I would say, yes, from uh, you can have uh, 50 and 75 uh, hectares as well. That's okay. But from 100 hectares, that's where you need your own weather station. When you start exceeding 200 hectares, you should start considering number two. The interesting thing about what our business model is that we build a network and everybody becomes part of that network. So when you have a physical weather station, you can access the data from five others in the network. Uh, so it is a community-based uh, weather network we, we are building up here. 
And that means you don't may, maybe necessarily do not need to, to invest into to, to a second weather station immediately. You can use your neighbors or you can go together with your neighbor and then strategically put them. That's what they do here in, in the Scandinavian region. They, farmers talk to each other. So we collect an awful lot of data from the weather stations. How does that then predict what's going to happen over the next 48 hours? Well, I, w- I wish I could give the answer, because, but I'm not smart enough. Uh, but, but it is simply a neural network that's being trained. The, the big hot topic right now, artificial intelligence. And that is really a neural network that keeps uh, adjusting itself and being able to predict better and better on specific weather parameters, uh, the temperature, precipitation, and so on. Uh, so, so that's how it works. And it keeps on training uh, on, on the data that comes in. Okay. And there's an app to to link all this lot together to provide the the necessary information to the farmer exactly exactly uh we have a uh, the app uh, and it goes for both uh, ios and android and then yeah now we we are moving very much into uk so um, we started out two years ago just starting to set up the first stations uh, strategically around uh, uh uk uh to to just make sure hey it works our station works we can broadcast the signal we are using the mobile network as our uh, broadcast channel. Uh, so we know it might be a little bit old technology, but it definitely works. That's one very important thing for us, that our stations work. And we tested it out for two years. It works in your climate and everything. We're working with FRAM, uh, was was the first one in the uh, uh, Suffolk area. They are uh, uh, pushing us uh, into the market. Then we have Mole Valley on the western side, which is more like the grazing area. And there are lots of uses for grazing as well. So they, they are the distributors for us into the, to the UK market right now. And the one thing maybe I should put in here is where we also differentiate ourselves. That is, we are, it's called hardware as a service. That's a, a fancy word for a rental business model. Uh, so that means we are the ones who own the weather station. But that also means we have an obligation that all the sensors work. We need precise data. So we have no incentive of not replacing sensors because that, that would damage our algorithm uh, overall if, if it was bad sensors. So that, that's the model we're doing. First level support uh, in, in UK as well. So we have feet on the ground. We have stations in stock in UK. Okay, so there has to be a cost to all this. Exactly. Nothing is free in this world. There is a, um, a startup fee of £360 and then an annual subscription of 350 we have a special campaign offer right now where we actually absorb the uh, startup fee uh, because for us it's also important to get the network out there as quickly as possible so uh, we we are absorbing the 360 pound in an early bird campaign it goes on until the end of october okay and where can we go for more information about all this well uh, the fastest way is just to go to our webpage cordulus.com c o r d u l u s.com yeah we have the farming area there All right, Henry Brandt, Sales Director from Cordulus. Thanks for joining us on the Farming Programme this morning. Thank you very much. Lincolnshire Young Farmers are holding a new Members Month through October. They also have a new County Chair, Rosie Finney. And I met with Rosie at last week's Lincolnshire Rural Support Network's AGM and got to know her a little bit better. So I've been a member since I was 14 years old of Horncastle Young Farmers, although I now live nearer to South Yorkshire. Still a member of Horncastle, though. I never imagined that I would be county chair dream come true joined from the bottom took on roles tried getting stuck in with everything and I've somehow ended up where I am now so what's your farming background then so probably a different farming background to most people I've grown up around poultry um, turkeys 
um, and I'm now assistant manager of a chicken hatchery. So we produce about 1.3 million chickens a week for supermarkets and food chain, basically. And is it a family background in farming? Originally, yes. Um, my dad is manager of a turkey hatchery. So I've grown up around it, um, started off in the business with him and then went elsewhere to sort of spread my wings a bit and see where I end up. If you'll pardon the pun. <laughs> it, it's, it is a little bit different for this part of the world because so many people that I speak to from young farmers, it's, it's arable. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, yeah, very different to what most people's sort of um, agricultural background is. Um, but no, I love it. Really enjoy it. And what have you got out of your journey through Young Farmers? I guess with Young Farmers, it gave me sort of a, a wider understanding of agriculture and the industry. With my knowledge, it was mainly of poultry rather than like most people with their arable side. More connections with people. Coming to things like this tonight where you can do more networking and maybe might lead to opportunities in the future. And a little bit of fun along the way? Definitely, a lot of fun. We've got a new members' month starting within Lincolnshire Young Farmers, so what are you actually doing to try and get new members in? So every club in the county, uh, and we have 15 of them, uh, is running their own new members' night, mainly this week, but we're spreading it out over a whole month as well. So if you're new to Young Farmers, or you've never been, or you might have been before and you just want to get back into it, Um, You can go along to these evenings. They're open to anyone uh, between the age of 10 and 28. Clubs are running special activities so that people can get to know each other, get to see a bit about what goes on in Young Farmers, um, meet new people in the area. The main motto we have is fun, learning and achievement. So you can have fun meeting up with your friends every week, trying new competitions, new activities, new skills, some that will then be helpful for you in the future, be that through competitions. Um, We do things like practicing job interviews in competitions, travel opportunities. Um, I've been lucky enough to represent England uh, at European level. So, you know, you can go all over the world with young farmers. I mean, the sky's the limit with young farmers, it really is. And you don't actually have to be a farmer, do you? No, you absolutely do not have to be a young farmer to be a young farmer. We're open to everyone. If you want to meet like-minded people, even just learn a bit more about the area where you live in or meet people in your area, Come along, get involved. Well, Rosie, good luck with your year as chair of Lincolnshire Young Farmers. Let's get back to the LRSN AGM. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Time for our weekly walk around the fields with a look at the crops and some timely agronomy advice. Good morning to our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Yes, morning, Steve. What a week. It started off so well, so promising. Last weekend, 24 degrees Sunday, 23 Monday, 25 for me on Tuesday. No rain really to speak of since the 2nd of October. Then, of course, Wednesday and Friday happened and we find ourselves back at square one drilling-wise. There was plenty of drilling done from the end of last week through to the monsoon season, kicking off again on Wednesday. But for those with the heavier clay stuff still finding it difficult to forget the memories of autumn 2019 when if you didn't drill your heavy land before the rain you didn't drill it at all and I think we can all remember that because of the wet weather only about 15% of the winter wheat and winter barley acreage got drilled in autumn 2019 because of that incessant heavy rain but remember that that was the first time that had ever happened really since the 1960s that it is after all still only mid-October and that we should expect to see some rain in October from 
time to time and that just because it's rained over the last few days that doesn't necessarily mean we should start building an ark or that it's not going to stop raining until February so there's plenty of time to panic later but I don't think there's any need to yet now with that in mind there is plenty of wheat on the heavier black grassland that was put in the ground this week before the rain came and rightly so as well because it's all about what the black grass is doing it's not the calendar date it's what the black grass is doing when it does it and how much of it it's done by the time you get the drill out this year is totally different to last year in so much as the black grass dormancy is very low this year conditions are pretty much perfect for it to come through it's warm and it's wet it was very very dry this time last year very little black grass came through before most of the wheat had already been drilled we've already had several good flushes dealt with with glyphosate this year unlike last year when a lot of the black grass came up with the wheat itself most of which had already been drilled as i say in perfect drilling conditions that we'd had from late september before that black grass had actually even started to chip but everybody i talked to is telling me that just how awkward the seedbed conditions are you know they dried nicely on the top but it's still like plasticine just a few centimeters down so drilling not straightforward even before this last lot of rain and the seed beds in many cases not ideal but the wheat doesn't know that it's happy and content in warm wet soils it'll grow regardless and i think we should really think about why the situation is in these seed beds what it is i've already mentioned autumn 2019 when we took the best part of 20 inches of rain in the last 100 days of that year and the net result of that was that it caused a lot of the heavier soils to slump and some of the more medium soils too and it's easy to forget just how wet that autumn was four years on but that slump layer is most likely still affecting what we're doing out there now and contributing to this autumn because in a bad weather year like this with over 115 mil of rain in July then most recently another 100 millimeters or more through September just gone which makes it the wettest September I've ever recorded then there's no wonder that we're struggling to find dust but I say again it's still only the middle of October there's plenty of time to get wheat in the ground yet didn't the old fellas used to say maul it in haul it off but that does of course depend upon the act of mauling being possible I know you know and that's another thing because when the old fellas were telling us that we had 140 horsepower tractors pulling massive drills and the like the whole drilling setup including the seed itself weighed no more than about five ton today the drill alone weighs nearly that much and many of these drilling rigs weigh twice or three times that so physically finding good enough condition to exist just to be capable of standing that sort of weight alone often loses vital drilling days maybe we should all have a light drilling rig on standby 150 horsepower two-wheel drive tractor with a four meter massy drill doesn't sound so stupid at the moment does it i'm just saying so once it does dry up remotely enough to drill it's going to be all systems go seed rates by this coming week should be aiming to establish between 250 275 plants a square meter depending upon the conditions and the weed burden slug activity widespread now as well unfortunately especially but not exclusively after all seed rates so get your slug traps out and monitor them that way very very closely crops that are already up are growing pretty quickly in these moist 15 degree soils so they'll hopefully stay ahead of any damage but the stuff that's just gone in and is yet to emerge along with the stuff that you've yet to get in may well be a very different story so do be aware that the slugs are out there and they seem to be blooming hungry and if you can drill it you need to spray the pre-em on it within 72 hours if you want the best results on the black grass don't wait until that black grass has already started to put its roots down it needs to 
germinate within the herbicide layer to get the best and the most back for your money. Huge numbers of white fly about at the moment, coming off the brassicas and out of the trees, I expect, and big numbers of frit flies and ladybirds all of a sudden too. Aphids still about. If you can find threshold levels of bird cherry oak or grain aphids once that 170 growing day degrees has been reached since the crop emerged, you may need to consider treatment, but do consider the predators when it comes to pyrethroids and all the beneficials. Driving down the A15 near the Ashby turnoff last week, the grass field on the west side of the A15 was shining silver from the silk of millions and millions of tiny little predatory spiders. They're all eating aphids, so give them a chance to do you a favour. The spiders and the ladybirds certainly outnumber the aphids in my fields at the moment anyway. Disease levels in orchid rape, they remain low. Foma visible in the forward stuff now. It has been for seven to ten days, but that's probably a big and ugly enough crop in the forward stuff not to be threatened too much by late foma. It's far more concerning if you've got a smaller crop and I'm really struggling to find foma in those small crops actually and as I've said before light leaf spot can only be slowed down at best the most effective control period for light leaf spots in the early spring as things start to warm up then so the colder weather over the next few weeks is probably going to hold the light leaf spot back in its own right anyway it's wet it's miserable it's October but it is early yet fingers crossed it's going to come right soon so let's see what the next seven days bring thanks as ever Sean Now, we've all seen drones being used for crop photography and analysis, but you can now spray and spread using these bits of kit. Details coming up together with a look at the markets and the weather for the week ahead. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. Let's find out more about spraying, spreading and sowing using a drone from Andy Sproson, Chief Operating Officer at Auto Spray Systems. Andy, this use of a drone is now legit, yes? Yes, you've got an aviation problem and you've got a pesticide and substance sort of problem. The first one to tackle is obviously the aviation one. We've navigated the regulations for unmanned aircraft to fly at a really heavy weight, so over 25 uh, kilograms but also drop articles, additionally, drop articles for agricultural, forestry and horticultural reasons. Because if you remember back in the day when we had aerial crop spraying, um, you would need something called an aerial permit from the Aviation Authority, which dictated sort of what you did, how you did it. We've got an exemption against that, so we don't need to comply with those specific requirements. And then you move on to the actual spraying and spreading of material and you've got to split that again into controlled and uncontrolled for us controlled is pesticides uncontrolled sort of substances for example seeds without a pesticide shell fertilizers and products and things like that also like biological products they're a bit sort of in between so we can spray nematodes like nemaslug for example and, and we can spread bt but when bt is mixed up with additives or for example dipel that then becomes a pesticide and falls under the pesticides register. So you need additional aerial permits for pesticides. So the legalities are sorted. We can actually use these things now. But tell us a little bit about the drones themselves, because these aren't the little things that we send up with cameras on them. These are a bit big, aren't they? Yeah, they're massive. I would they, they weigh fully laden with, a, with, a, with our payload, 93 kilograms. So we've got a 60 litre um, sort of hopper that would carry approximately 50 kilo of material seed fertilizer and then we've got a 40 liter liquid tank which equates to 40 kilograms payload when you have the propellers sort of unfolded the dimensions 2.9 meters by 2.9 meters 
folded away about 1.4 so you can just about get them in the back of a transit van or you can get them on the back of a pickup the flight time is around 10 to 15 minutes which brings a lot of shock to people they think oh my god you know we're never going to get anything done but our batteries to recharge in around eight to ten minutes we've got a generator so we can charge off-site we basically have a, a batch of six batteries and set one goes in the drone it goes off does its job comes back set two goes in set two goes on charge and round and round we go all day and, and we'll do that all day for 12 hours because that's been the concern hasn't it with drones in lots of uses that battery life really it's almost peanuts and you, you get up there and it's got to come back down again but you've countered that with basically having half a dozen batteries that you can just swap over and is it coming back then after completing its task refill the tank change the battery back up again yeah we, we like it to an f1 pit stop to be honest with you generally speaking our payload will be gone before our batteries are gone because we can seed at various rates we generally seed at around nine kilo a hectare We've got two pumps, two peristaltic pumps. We can pump out 12 litres a minute. A couple of minutes, the whole load's gone. Um, but we don't obviously spray generally at that pace. But generally speaking, the batteries will come back. There'll be about 50% left. Just through safety and efficiency, we refill the payload. We always change the batteries. They go and charge. We're always topping up. So if we top up from 50 60%, they'll be ready in about four or five minutes. So spraying, spreading and sewing? Yeah, so we seed, we, we broadcast at around six metre, seven metre width. And some of the work we've been doing is to introduce something called over-sewing, under-sewing. There's a few different names for it, but yeah, we, we, we're broadcasting us. We're sowing seed into standing crops, for example. We've done all-seed rape into standing wheat, mixed with stubble turnips, mustard, radish. And that's for when the wheat farmer harvests the wheat, then they'll lease the land to sort of sheep farmers. For them to feed on and then we've done oilseed rape as well and we recently did oilseed rape into oilseed rape because the the weevil had decimated the crop so we've just basically caught up and we, we're finding that the the weevil are eating the older larger crops from the initial sowing and ours are coming through and um, we, we actually think we seeded too much we did nine kilo a hectare we think we probably should have done about seven it's quite quite a dense crop and is there a, a kind of limit of farm size where drones become useful? Do they get to a point where the farm's really too big, it needs big kit, conventional kit, shall we say? Yeah, I mean, we're never going to replace a tractor. You know, we, we're tenth of the size with one use. You know, a tractor has many uses. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to introduce more efficient and different ways of working that can, it's another tool in the box. And if we can introduce the ability to improve a yield, introduce seed onto land six weeks, seven weeks before a harvest, increasing the yield, then great. You know, we're accessing areas that are inaccessible to current machinery. There's other uses. We're working closely um, on the pesticide sort of angle. And one of the products we want to introduce, hopefully by the end of this year, but probably sometime early next in time for the March season, slug pellets. Just think about being able to say you've got a crop of salad, potatoes, anything, and you've got the ability to fly over that crop after it's rained, drop all these slug pellets and save your crop versus trying to get on there with machinery, chew up the land, destroy crop, soil, or even just leave it because it might be safer or more efficient to just let the slugs eat the crop. But we can stop that now 
but we'll be able to stop it next year. And how does this how does it work in practice? Does a farmer buy the drone and all the kit that goes with it and control it themselves or do they rent it or does somebody come along with it and do the fields for them? How does it all work? We're open to all of that, to be honest, but we're finding it's a specialist item at the end of the day, especially at the moment. It's quite a high barrier to entry and we're trying to remove that barrier by introducing training and allowing people to operate under our umbrella. Even said, I think that's a lot for a farmer to take on both in terms of knowledge, um, working practice, but also in, in, in cost. You know, you're probably looking at around £40,000 for one of these drones. Add, add on training and insurance. We're finding that you'll have a spray contractor who are taking on these machines and servicing several farms and offering this sort of service. We're offering the service at the moment because we believe in what we're doing and we're trying to demonstrate the efficacy and what can and can't be done. And we want to give people real figures. We don't want to give wishy-washy. You might be able to do this. We're going out there and we're doing it and we can tell you with confidence, with our own experience that we can spread at 20 hectares an hour. You know, it's not figures in a book. It's been done here. And things like license requirements, we talked about the legalities of this earlier on. If I buy one of these and I'm going to go and fly it over my field to spray or whatever, do I need licenses for that? Yeah, so aviation-wise, you need to submit a safety case to the Aviation Authority and demonstrate you can operate these safely. That comes in both training qualifications and, and experience format. These are massive, big, heavy drones dangerous machinery at the end of the day this yeah. might be another reason for considering using a contractor for this they've got the experience they've got all the licensing thing all sorted out already yeah that's it and we we train and supply contractors so we've navigated this legislation and we're allowing people to work alongside us buy a drone come on a course fly under our umbrella and we're enabling you and the market to take advantage Andy, fascinating stuff. I'd like to see one of these things in action. Where can we go for more information? Probably best just head straight to our website, autospaysystems.com. And we make a point of trying to make videos and pictures so people can actually get a firm grasp of what we're doing. Okay, so that's autospraysystems.com. Andy Sproson, thank you so much for joining us on the farming programme this morning. No, thank you for having me. It's been great to talk. Links FM Farming Market Report. Starting with livestock and from Mason's Rural at Louth Livestock Market. Good morning, Henry Simpson. Good morning, Stephen. Welcome to the weekly roundup from Louth Livestock Market. Starting off with a Friday sale, it was our first autumn special cattle show and sale of suckle calves and store cattle. It saw a bumper sale with 251 steers entered, 170 heifers and one bull, totaling 422 head of cattle. Big congratulations to the champion and reserve champion, which was both from PK Farms of Frisney. The steers saw an oil average of £970 per head, the heifers oil average £836 per head, and the bull £1,300 per head. Top of the day, going to PK Farms of Frisney with a champion heifer to £1,700 per head, and also to JD Stedman of Woodall Spa to 473 pence per kilo. That wraps up the Friday sale and moving on to our Monday sale, which was just sheep this week, which is a similar number of lambs compared to last week. Saw an SQQ of 261.79 pence per kilo and an oil average of 252.54 pence per kilo. Top of the day goes to Ben and Pippa Williams of Mablethorpe to 292 pence per kilo 
and also to N.A. and A.T. Collishaw of Spalding, and also C.R. Applewhite and son of Danethorpe, who both sold to £123 per head. Now moving on to the cool use, we saw a smaller number entered this week, which was 49 forward. So an average per head of £79.35, and a top price from T.J. Baxter of Alford, achieving £130 per head. So just a handful of hogs entered this week from J.S. and D. Bingham, which were sold to £60.59. There was just a handful of cool rams entered from C.R. Applewhite and son of Danethorpe this week, which sold to £122 per head. And also there was a few store lambs that were sold to Vendors Advantage, which averaged £70.31 per head, and saw a top from A.J. Thompson Agriculture of Northorpe to £94 per head, and which also saw an average per head of £70.31. And just a reminder, we're selling again Monday and taking entries for prime and cool cows, as well as prime, cool and store sheep. This coming Friday, we also have our second special sale of breeding and store cattle. So please don't hesitate to contact the team for all marketing options. This has been Henry Simpson from the Masons Royal Team. Thank you. Thanks, Henry. And with a look at the market that's about as good as the weather, Openfield's Alice Killam. Morning, Alice. Good morning, Steve. More sideways trading this week again, I'm afraid. As we have watched the scenes in Israel and Palestine in horror, markets would usually take risk off the table and square their positions. Funds are, however, holding huge short positions and therefore it is no great surprise that we haven't had a more positive week. We could talk at length about what may happen next, but at the moment this is really rather irrelevant as it is having zero effect. Stocks, as we know, will be lower at the end of the season, but there is plentiful supply for now. The Russian baseline price is reported to be dropping again in an effort to gain some Egyptian business and we still remain 8 to 10 euros away from fresh trading, so we are once again reliant on outside markets to lift us. Overall, a pretty miserable week, but there is a glimmer of hope in the USDA report released Thursday evening. The headlines focused on the two row crops of corn and beans. Beans, the soybean yield for the US has dropped below the 50 bushel per acre mark. This is just a forecast, but if this is realised, the stock number at the end of the season will get smaller also. Since the 1st of September, US soybeans have dropped 160, so this is good news and already we've seen a bounce. Corn is up also, but it's been dragged up by the bean market in truth. Some interesting numbers here too though. The US yield forecast has gone down again. Ending stocks are subsequently lower also. Let's not get too excited. We're going to need quite a few days like this to reverse the trend. But this report is certainly welcome news to most of us. Our own UK numbers were released Thursday morning. Both area 5.3% down and yield 5.2% down are lower. As you can see, the penny is beginning to drop that our UK crop is not going to be that big. DEFRA are working on a number just above the 14 million tonne mark. Let's skip to the rapeseed market, which has had a grim week up until 5pm Thursday evening, breaking out of the range of the downside. The US bean crop is trading at a 22-month low, with the French Matisse touching four-month lows during the week. The same story here in the short term. Not much demand from China, and unlike the corn crop, production of beans is forecast to be high in South America, certainly, where they will fight the US for business. As the US report has reminded us, though, none of this has actually happened yet. I know there is fundamentally nothing that new here, but the sentiment remains the same as it has been for the last few weeks. Keep trading shorts when they appear, trade to the carry, take advantage of the premiums on offer which remain at multi-year highs, and for the forward sellers, the 24 crop is trading at a premium to 23. Some guide prices for this week, circa Friday morning. Feed wheat, October, 
170 to 180, February 175 to 185, May 180 to 190, with Group 1 milling premium still holding between 60 and 70 pounds. Feed barley, November 150 to 160, and May 155 to 165. All seed rape, October 335 to 345, and December 345 to 355. As usual, please call for firm values. Thanks, Alice. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. A calm, settled, colder start to the week, but it's warmer and the rain's back in the second half. Just a light breeze today, dry with some sun and highs of 8 Celsius, down to 5 overnight into Monday, which will be mostly cloudy and a couple of degrees warmer. The middle of the week sees a change to warmer temperatures, lower pressure, highs in the mid-teens and the return of the rain for most of the second half of the week. The wind picks up too, easterly gusting into the 30s MPH and it starts to cool down again by the end of the week. Well, that's it for this week's Farming Programme podcast. Next week, we'll hear about Lincolnshire Rural Support Network's year and future plans and find out how farming can. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.